OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. All right. So welcome, everybody. Today, we are at Ask an Angel, and today we are with uh, Jess Joss, and we're very excited again, to be able to dive right into the whole angel community and ask Jess a lot of great questions. And maybe we can start off, Jess, by giving a little bit more of a background on yourself, if you could kind of give that worldly view, and then uh, we'll uh, jump in from there. Great. Thanks so much for having me today. Very much appreciate it. Um, in terms of my background, like all good investors, I am a history major that prepares you for everything in life, uh, gives you good context for where we've been at least. Um, started my first company right out of university. That company still uh, continues. It's an online uh, services program, marketing, et cetera, website design, and that continues today. I started investing about 11 years ago, 12 years ago, um, joined York Angels, which was my first angel group. And that was my uh, initial experience as being a member within an angel group. Um, had done some investing previously outside of that group. But uh, once I joined an angel group, I decided that that was definitely my preferred MO to work with uh, other angels and collaborate. And um, so after being an angel there for a number of years in 2014, I became executive director and had an amazing opportunity to work on the management side, grow the organization, work within the ecosystem, meet other angels from across the country and around the world, work with some great entrepreneurs, continue to do that until um, June 2019, so a year ago. And then at that point in time, I moved to a new organization, and that was, um, that was an opportunity to work with three angel groups and bring them together under one brand and one, um, one umbrella, and that was called Equation. Uh, and the angel groups involved in that are GTAN out of Kitchener-Waterloo, Angel One out of Burlington, and Southwestern Ontario out of London. And so I had an opportunity to do work with some amazing angels there, really interesting entrepreneurs, learn slightly different aspects of the ecosystem. And the value of equation is bringing together um, more angels, making it a faster and more efficient uh, application process for the entrepreneurs, fill your round quicker, and provide um, economies of scale and values to our angel members. So that's uh, equation, which continues to grow and thrive. Over the winter of 2020, I took a leave of absence just to deal with some family health issues. And so I've been working with that. Uh, but still keeping my toe in the angel waters and within the ecosystem. Awesome. And well, we've known each other for about five years, I think, or four or five years since we started this. Uh, I started going to York Angels mm -hmm. and uh, I'm a big fan. So, and I see that there's um, a lot of great things that you've done for the community inside of that. So you obviously love investing. So I guess the big question is what got you into investing? What was that trigger that was, really pushing you to go and say, you know what, I need to get into this space. Yeah, it's interesting because I grew up in an entrepreneurial household um, on my father's side and watched him in the startup phase, start up two businesses, one very successful. And at the time there was investment, but we would never have called it angel investing. It was, you know, somebody lent you money or somebody, you know, bought into the company because they believed it and so on. But I wouldn't have known it at, as a child as angel investing. But looking back, that's exactly what it was in terms of the size and the scale of it. And as I grew up, there was an opportunity for, um, I watched my father invest in other businesses. And I think it was a lot of it pay it forward was how that started and seeing that as an example. 
because um, many entrepreneurs remember that one person or that piece of advice or that investment that was right at the linchpin or right at that critical moment that really helped with the inflection. Um, and then there's a desire to do that again for others. So the, my initial motivation definitely came from that, that area. As an entrepreneur myself, I, um, I saw not only the value of the investment of money, but also the mentorship that I received when I was growing my business and how, you know, the connections, the mentorship, um, and having that really sort of sage sounding board was really important to me as I grew and developed my business and pivoted and, and so on. So, you know, desire to provide that back. Um, and then when I came together through the investments I did on my own were, they were good, but they weren't, um, it was a very, I was very new to the field. So it was certainly a lot of heavy lifting. And then when I came forward to an organized angel group, for me, I found that that was a great space. Um, I liked sharing the due diligence. I liked the collaboration with other investors who brought different perspectives so I could invest outside of my wheelhouse then. Um, I'm in a variety of verticals that are not my expertise, but based on the relationships I built with fellow angels who are experts in that field, that was enough to help me um, make a decision to invest in something that's outside of my wheelhouse. So for me, I've really enjoyed the collaborative angel investing experience, but I think there's, you know, I see it as giving back because I've had opportunity. I've had, I've been, you know, lucky, successful, whatever it may be. And I think that's important. I see, um, I see it also as something that's really good for our country. We're a, you know, a large country with a small population, but I think especially in technology, I think there's an opportunity for us to, really sort of punch above our weight. And, um, and I think that it's an opportunity as Canada, you know, for many, many years, we were very strong in natural resources and pivoting into more tech and things that are more scalable. Um, I think that's good for the future of our country. So that's another reason why I like to invest. Um, and it's interesting. Once you've done it, it's absolutely addictive because you, you meet fantastic entrepreneurs. You meet some other amazing uh, angel investors, you get addicted to seeing new technologies and seeing trends. Um, so it becomes something very quickly, I think, that uh, you always want to be a part, part of because there's a pulse and energy to it. And I think there's also an optimism as someone who's an inherently optimistic person. Um, you know, is there any act that's really any more optimistic than starting a business from scratch with an idea? It's, I mean, there's so many things that theoretically are stacked against you, and yet it's one of the ultimate acts of optimism. Um, and I love to see that as people put in their blood, sweat, and tears to, to move something forward and create. It's, uh, it's an exciting place to be. So once you've done, you know, one or two angel investments, it, I certainly think the bug bites you. And then once you've had a couple of exits, then you definitely, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a little addictive. Well, that's awesome. And so kind of like while you're going through and learning this, it sounds mm -hmm. like, and your father, um, Randy was uh, one I got to, Rudy. sorry, Rudy. Yeah. <laughs> I got to work with him a while back and mm -hmm. I thought he was awesome. Like he brought so much to the, the atmosphere just in when we were deep diving and everything to that, to that effect. And what I found was that, and I'm curious if this is what you found, because you mentioned that based on the things that he did, you've got to learn from that and that helped you invest and you mentioned mentorship and things like that. So was it pretty open? So was he sharing a lot of this detail oh, yeah. growing up so that you were like, this is kind of cool. Cause you mentioned today, your son was, you know, running some charts and building some calculations on his growth of his business. So is it pretty open-minded? Is that the idea of, of an entrepreneurial home? 
Yeah, you know, interesting you say that. I think my first business was before there were Costco's, et cetera, I was reselling candy in grade four at school, complete down to providing receipts and stuff like that. But yeah, no, um, the way I was raised, everything was incredibly transparent in terms of ownership deals. You know, I also knew not to talk, you know, at dinner the night before the 15th of the month, the 30th of the month, because, you know, payroll was in the early days was a problem. I had the opportunity thrilling opportunity to plant the flowers in front of the business or help clean on weekends and stuff like that. So I know um, I was, everything was incredibly transparent and has always been when I was growing up. So I had a, you know, a lot of sense of the ups and the downs, what it took. Um, and, and I, I appreciate that now. I don't think I realized at the time what a privilege it was to see both sides and to be included um, I wouldn't say in the decision-making per se when I was, you know, eight, but, or 12, but understanding what was going on and grew up with the business. Um, I'm still to this day, even though they've exited, I'm still um, partners with employee or friends with employees and partners from the original business and still see them. Um, so it's been, you know, built lifelong relationships, but I definitely have learned. And I, what I also think I learned is a variety of perspectives, you know, um, I grew up in an entrepreneurial household with, you know, a particular bent, but with the different partners and with the p different people that I met through my formative years, I had a lot of opportunity to see different styles of management, different styles of business and so on, because we knew a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, so you don't realize how educational that is as you, as a kid, sometimes you're interested in sometimes you're being dragged along because you, uh, you know, you're needing a ride somewhere else, but you know, right reflectively, I learned a lot at an early age um, or absorbed a lot, maybe is a better way to put it. So yeah, so that certainly was very helpful. And I've been incredibly transparent uh, with my son in terms of what I, you know, we talk about like the portfolio we're building, what type of companies, how manage an angel group. Um, you know, by five, he knew about patents and trademarks. And if you, it's a hobby, if uh, nobody, you can love something, but if nobody pays you for it, it's a hobby. And it's only a company if somebody's willing to buy it from you. And uh, today was a lesson in cost of goods sold and how you have to sell at a certain price in order to make it a worthwhile business. Um, so yeah, no, definitely a lot of open conversations. I think that's important, you know, and I do a lot of work um, volunteering and you've done the same sort of thing where we work with, you know, high school or university students and I am so happy that they have access to early opportunities to explore entrepreneurship and business and so on, which I think was not as available many years ago. And there's, so I see so many interesting idea, ideas being explored and learning at a really young age. Um, and I think it's a great opportunity because it's also a mindset as well as um, a skill. So it's uh, seeing those opportunities. And I love working with, you know, university, high school students, et cetera, and seeing where their mind goes for the future because they are the future. Agreed. And, and you, uh, you mentioned that a few times that supporting the ecosystem or supporting uh, small business is great for the country. It's great for everybody to be able to come together. And when 97, 98% of the country's made up a small business, you really do got to figure out how to get behind it. And, and it sounds like um, you guys obviously grew up in that mentality, but you were starting companies when you were a little little girl and you were like, hey, I got to sell some lemonade. I got to make some money here. Um, <laughs> so I love that. Um, I can think back to a million things I did the same when I was a kid. And I'm not sure that you can just force yourself to be an entrepreneur. I think a lot of it is kind of innate in your ability to see problems, break them down and try and solve them as a kid or, or growing up. 
and you always hear those uh, funny little quirky stories of uh, of what kids have sold and what things that they did and people got behind them. So, um, and one other thing I want to touch on because it is important and you, you mentioned it, which was mentorship. And yeah. it sounds like you had mentorship, but was it something that was just provided in the family side or did you eventually grow into having other mentors as well and make it part of your call it your business portfolio that you had to have a few mentors that helped you forward. And is it something you would recommend to other startups? Absolutely. Yeah. So first of all, I have, uh, I've had a wide variety of mentors with different skill sets and different act, um, different areas that they excel in over the years. And some, some mentors are continuing for many years and they're more of a touch point. Others are specific to a project or a business. I think it's really important to have mentorship. And I think what mentors provide is very uh, invaluable. Um, I also think it's important to have that outside of the family because um, you have one, you know, I was very lucky. I had access to a lot within, um, within my family, but there are different points of views and there's different ways of doing things. So I always see a variety of mentors as really useful. Um, I like to solicit lots of opinions and lots of information and then create my own, uh, my own version, my own plan, my way forward. Um, so, you know, something I would definitely say to entrepreneurs is to have mentors but ideally don't have just one. Um, and the reason I say that is because your mentor may be absolutely world-class in that one particular um, vertical that you're in, but the cross-pollination of ideas is something that's really important. And what works in a different industry, you know, could be something new and revolutionary in your industry. And having people that are at, you know, different stages in their own development and come from different backgrounds provides you with a real really sage advice and a real breath. So highly recommend um, mentors. You can call them different things. You can call them mentors. You can call them business advisors. Um, you know, it depends on how you're structuring the relationship. Some people say, oh, I want you to be on my board. And, you know, let's take a step back from an, uh, from an investor's point of view or from a mentor's point of view. Being on your board has a fiduciary responsibility to an incorporated company, whereas being an advisor does not. So, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's a lot more attractive to be asked to be an advisor versus, you know, the fiduciary responsibility of being a board member. Um, but soliciting a variety of opinions, being able to brainstorm um, and just understanding different aspects that, you know, somebody else has gone through and done, done the journey. As a teenager, you have, um, your parents are willing to give you a lot of advice and you don't want to listen to it because they're your parents and they don't know anything. But, you know, in the business setting, why not take advantage of people that are willing to share some of their experiences uh, and form your own version, the best hybrid version based on, you know, two or three different mentors' experiences in your own gut. Um, I think that makes everything stronger. Agreed. No, that's great. And, and it's a, a good thing for startups to look at this as um, being a smart way to conduct business is to get information and, and advisors that can bring in different perspectives into your fold because your business is going to shift and change every day and having mm -hmm. people that have different experiences are going to help you with that. Absolutely. It makes you more resilient. Agreed. Yes. And you need that big time, <laughs> big time. You, you know, know that now. You never know what's going to happen in day tomorrow or what happened yesterday. So you got to be ready for all of it. So uh, in your, in the scheme of the, the investing, you're starting to jump in. You've done lots of different things. You've got deal flow. Uh, you're starting to work on there. Is there um, a set number of companies that you like to invest in per year? Is there a, inside your portfolio, do you have an idea of every year I'm going to do X um, or is it not that calculated? How do you look at your portfolio from that side of things? So um, the way it's set up is I have two business partners 
uh, and a pool of capital. We've um, been investing for 11, 12 years now, 12, 13 years, 11 of them through formal angel groups. Um, we've invested 55 rounds, um, so about 40 companies, 45 companies, 55 rounds. Um, there's not a set, so unlike a VC, there's not a set number calculation of this much has to be invested each year, et cetera, and so on. So it's partially based on opportunity. It's partially based on bandwidth at the time in terms of to invest takes a fair bit of time, even if you're doing it collaboratively with other angels to do a thorough job of the due diligence to weigh the options. Um, so being a member of angel groups or multiple angel groups, you know, you've got uh, a fair bit of deal flow coming in, plus you have the deal flow that, um, you know, comes directly to you. So assessing all that takes time and that's a bandwidth issue. And then in terms of capital, uh, we divide it so that there's capital for new investment. There is also um, dry powder for our existing portfolio companies because you always want your existing portfolio companies to do well and sometimes they need another round uh, in order to be able to do well or you want to double down when they're doing well. Um, how many more cliches can I get in one sentence? That's a lot there. Um, and so we don't set a particular number. Right now we're in a point of, um, we have the dry powder for additional we are doing some new investment, but a limited amount right now. We're on the cusp of a couple of um, our largest investments are exiting within the next couple of months. And that repatriates capital so that then you can start the investing again. And I think that's something that, um, you know, everyone is building their own portfolio. So it's important to take a look at how 10 and 30 investments over the lifetime of an angel in order to see a return on investments. Maybe they get, you know, two times, three times exit, and you know, you'll have a couple that do well. So building a robust portfolio um, of companies that are at different stages, companies that are um, in different industries, really helps sort of make your portfolio overall strong. Some people love metrics, some people do it on gut, but there you definitely need to diversify your portfolio. Is there any specific verticals that you look at or have been looking at, or is there something in your portfolio you're trying to fill? So there's probably some gaps. So are you looking at healthcare? What, what is your kind of now going forward plan and, or what have you been looking at in the past that really interests you? Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at what we're vertical agnostic, we have everything from um, hardware to vodka, tequila, to e-health, to a horror film. So there's, you know, quite, quite a breadth within that. Um, in terms of a vertical to fill right now, uh, when we repatriate, um, you know, based on having that exit in, in the next couple of months, the, I think the real focus will be there then is technologies or opportunities that help companies adjust and manage to the new, um, to the new world order as it evolves, helping them be more efficient and more effective in terms of delivering to customers, et cetera. Um, we have done limited amounts of pure healthcare in terms of pharma. We have one pharma related one. That's a really long play that takes deep pockets. Um, so I think, you know, for us, we wouldn't necessarily go back into pharma vaccine and stuff like that, but med tech, med tech is um, always interesting. But our comfort zone and certainly our experience um, collaboratively as a team is, is, you know, a lot more SaaS oriented, SaaS software, hardware. That's, you know, a lot of where the background is. Um, 
So as I mentioned before, if there's an opportunity where a fellow angel is an expert within that field, we would invest um, by doing collaborative due diligence with them. Um, so there's a pretty broad range. We have, you know, our companies range from fairly early stage, post-concept, post-revenue, to ones that have gone public to ones that are being acquired um, at a very high, you know, sort of very large, very established companies. So I think, you know, the, the next one for us in terms of stage of companies is uh, a little bit further along, um, sort of post, already post-revenue, post-concept, um, post post-revenue, but maybe a little bit further along and getting into a, a really solid scaling position based on um, the stage of the company. But the vertical, the vertical were fairly agnostic and frankly, a lot of it comes down to team. I think a team is sort of first and foremost um, you know, sometimes you're looking at a company and team and market are the, you know, two things that are absolutely incredibly important because you can't, you can do a little bit to tweak team. You can do a little bit on the markets, but the reality of it is the easiest, you know, part of the equation to adjust is the, uh, the product market fit, adjusting the product if, you know, if that's the, the type of company, but team and the actual industry that they're in, those things are harder to, to influence. So those things are the key components. And for us, vertical, we're not into one particular one. Okay. No, that's great. And, and that you're open-minded to other areas too. And you bring your partners in to kind of figure out what's the best positioning, work with the, uh, the angel group. So that's a, a lot of great collaborating to make that great decision. So uh, as an investor, it sounds like your kind of next play is going to be more of a series A versus a pre-seed or seed round, or is it still kind of dabbling in a bit of all of that? I would definitely say it's still seed round. Um, series A is a pretty deep pocket. Definitely um, seed round, but maybe slightly later seeds, slightly more mature companies um, that are closer to the cusp. Um, as an investor, you know, the earlier you invest, you're taking greater risk, but the, uh, the price point's lower. Um, later you invest, the price point tends to be higher. So just to sort of round out the portfolio that we have, we've got a lot of early stage ones. We have a couple exiting. So sort of that sort of later, that mid stage is probably where we, you know, collectively need to be within our portfolio. Um, yeah. Okay. No, that's great. Um, you mentioned that you have follow-up investment, which is great. Uh, having that process involved, it really does help. It gets other uh, investors interested as well because you're following on to um, investments that you went into. Do you have any preferred materials that you look for uh, when it comes to the DD side, um, either on documentation or on team? Like, is there anything there? If you tie that all together, these are must-haves. They've got to be really awesome, and I'm looking for these things. Well, I mean, a full due diligence room is something that I don't think any entrepreneur should even go out and start having the initial coffee dates without. Um, I used to hear a lot that angels were very slow. And when you dug into the process, angels um, in, you know, people that were saying that didn't have a full com completed due diligence from, they didn't have all the documents together. They didn't have the financials and so on. So due diligence can be fairly efficient when you work together as a group. If you've got a populated due diligence room, yes, you need to check certain things. You need to um, do your behind the scenes due diligence, but I think a lot of it is meeting with the team, understanding um, the strengths and weaknesses within the business and really walking through that. So that's a deep dive. And then some of it is the research that you do on your own. Um, but yeah, as an entrepreneur, if you're getting ready to raise, your due diligence room should be 
99% completed before you even set foot outside to talk about the fact that you're getting ready to raise. And easy enough, you can Google, you know, it's pretty easy, Google and find out, you know, what a standard due diligence room is. But sometimes it's just a matter of collecting a bunch of your documents and getting everything up to date and having some of your projections ready and so on, and then build from there. But for me, as I mentioned before, you know, team is certainly something that's, you know, really important. Um, I, if it's a product, obviously you want a product demo. And I would clarify for entrepreneurs that a, um, a pitch is not a product demo. It may touch on some of the product elements, but it is certainly not the pitch is the business plan. The pitch is where you're going. Um, and I've seen so many people get bogged down when they're in the process of presenting. And all they want to do is they want to tell you every single feature that they've ever done, et cetera, and so on. And I said, yes, but that's not your business. You know, that's, you know, how your product works. So, um, but uh, if I'm doing due diligence, I do want to see all the nuances of the product and, you know, sort of kick the tires, so to speak. Uh, but that's not for your initial pitch. So, but again, you know, I would say team is, you know, number one, uh, foremost, most important. Brilliant. So you look at the team, you're ready to go. Is there any format that you like? Do you like preferred shares? Do you like safes? Is there something that kind of really tops it off or yeah. do you work with the entrepreneur? What's the, how do you look at it that way? A uh, majority of our investments are preferred shares, um, preferred shares with incentives for the entrepreneur. Um, personal opinion is that, you know, safe tends to be for very early stage companies and works really well in an incubator accelerator um, format where you're putting a lot through because I tend to invest a little bit later on where it's post concept, post revenue safe is um, not necessarily a, a solid choice for us. You know, we have done some convertible, um, but Pref shares is our, our real happy zone. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Noted. Uh, so <laughs> That's, uh, that's great and, and some good feedback. Is there, um, I guess, when you're working with these startups, do you take a leading hand in maybe leading around or even before that, do you jump into working with the entrepreneur to help them uh, and mentor them through that process so that you get to that end goal? Is there other ways that you look at outside of just investing in money? Is there other things that you try to do with the companies you work with? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, when you're, when you bring on an investor, I think it's really important to engage them and engaging them can mean many different things. Some on, uh, some advisors will have or investors will have a great knowledge of your specific, specific industry, but others will have a great network that you can tap into. So, you know, there's different ways of looking to engage your angel investors from, from our point of view, you know, we'd like a board seat. But the board seat doesn't specifically have to be us because as we invest through an angel group, it's somebody representing the angel interests, um, although their fiduciary responsibility becomes to the startup. So, um, you know, different companies have different roles. If there's an area of expertise that we can bring on, even without a board role, but being an advisor based on some connections or things like that, we'd like to bring that to the table. So it's a case by case scenario, whether we add value. No one, um, certainly myself or my partners, we're not ever looking to distract the entrepreneurs. We're adding, looking to provide opportunities, connections, value. Um, and so it depends on the industry and the vertical. There's somewhere we just have, we can do some introductions, but beyond that, we don't, um, we don't have a lot that can move that company forward. And then there's others where we're, you know, where one of my partners is incredibly entwined and they're, you know, two days a week and helping walk it through to what's going to be, you know, their exit come this fall. So it depends on the particular case. 
Um, but I think it's one of the values, again, of collaboratively investing with other angels is you always have that touch point. You know that there are angels, you know, somebody's on the board, you're, they're um, sharing different perspectives within the, the board setting. And I think that's important. So as the decision-making goes forward and the, you know, the company moves from startup to scale up, I think it's good to have people with experience from various stages. No, that, that's great. You mentioned one thing, which was value. So there's obviously a good exchange of value. You've kind of gone through this ecosystem of, uh, or system, if you will, of looking, finding investments, figuring out how you want to work with them all the way through mentorship, uh, supporting yeah. them, board seats. And now you've kind of uh, decided, you know, there's a value had here. I can help out. Um, can you look back at all of the companies that you've invested in, worked with, had a touch point with, and can you pick out maybe one or two things that you really think stand out in why these companies eventually became successful? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think if you, tenacity of the team um, is certainly something that just, it's, it can be very challenging to see a company through to the growth cycle, um, but having the industry knowledge, but also be strong in your um, goals, but flexible in your methodology. And I think that's something that for sometimes for entrepreneurs can be challenging and the ones that the see, succeed really well um, do have that. And what I mean by that is as an entrepreneur, your company's your baby and your startup's your baby. So you love it but being objective enough to see, you know where you want it to go, but being aware that the path, you know, based on research, dialogue, et cetera, you may be on a path and realizing that a pivot, it would be appropriate for your company. And sometimes people have a hard time taking that objective data because the company has become their baby. So, you know, the entrepreneurs that are very strong that can see, um, a different way forward to get them to the end goal of being what they deem a successful company, um, but that there might be a slightly different path for them to take because there's been an evolution within their ecosystem, within their industry. So I think people being open in mind to that, that's a, a strong skill set that I've certainly seen with, um, you know, with some of the more successful entrepreneurs. Um, and I think, you know, another example of one that's been, and I, I've seen that, you know, and that company went public and they were very, um, the, the leadership there from the, the original founders was very strong, but they also were very good about taking um, advice from people that had uh, maybe, maybe from different industries, but had gone public before different things like that. And I think that allowed them to be much savvy beyond the years of the company because they had that collective wisdom and they solicited it. When I look at some other companies, I think ones that have actively um, communicated and engaged with their investors have really um, benefited from that. And so I can think of, you know, sort of two examples there. One would be um, a company that I met at a conference over, you know, a buffet years before they were investable. In fact, they were just, you know, literally an idea on a napkin. Um, but that entrepreneur forged a relationship, and this was pre-investment, by every quarter, keeping in touch, giving an update. Every time they said they were going to do something, this was the next step following through, explaining that it had been done, et cetera, and so on. Not in a pushy way, not in an aggressive way, but really built a lot of trust um, and a relationship. And I knew this was someone that was determined and dogged because that continued for three years. And when I ended up investing, they were still a little bit earlier. It was a small amount, a little bit earlier than I would normally invest. Um, but the reason I did it was they built three years of trust and I, you know, 
And I really felt strongly that they were going to do everything in their power to continue to be a success and grow. Um, another company, you know, I think has utilized another portfolio company that I think has utilized their investors really successfully was all of their production um, was in Asia. And in late 2019, they started to realize that they were going to have um, production issues and very quickly reached out to their angels and their investors to look for local production opportunities. Um, found, were able to retool, find everything locally. And because of what they do in terms of the sanitization of cell phones and tablets in hospital school set, settings, et cetera, the, um, the pandemic has been a real boon for their business. And they were able to control their supply chain, have it local. And the introductions all came from, um, all the local suppliers, et cetera, came through their angels and came, uh, and because of the introductions, they were able to very quickly jump on those relationships and move forward. Um, which has been invaluable to the growth of their business over the last couple of months. So, you know, wise entrepreneurs engage with their angels. They actively ask for not day-to-day -day operational help necessarily, but insights, and then they tap into them and continue to keep them in the loop. And I think those are the um, entrepreneurs that have seen great success. Oh, that's great. And it, you're, uh, you make a great point is that if, if the entrepreneur is willing to be open-minded and listen to their audience, they're also open-minded to dive in and learn more from the people that have been there, done that before. So the more questions they can ask, the more benefits they're going to get from it. So there's a true value exchange there for sure. Is there, is there um, along this journey you've been on, has there been one great story that you've got to tell about a startup or an entrepreneur that you thought just beat all odds and really just knocked down doors and is, uh, um, I don't know, it could be anything. I'm just uh, a great story that you think that just really um, emphasizes the, the struggle, but the, the wins that a, an early stage company can go through. Well, certainly I think um, Clean Slate, which is the tablet cleaning tablet one, um, tablet and cell phone cleaning one, they had, you know, they, I met them initially as a pitch competition through a Queen's University summer um, build a business program. Um, so, you know, they kept in touch, they were able to incorporate, they, you know, patented their technology, et cetera, and so on. So they did a great job that way. And now their timing is right. So they have really, they were well-structured, well-placed, and they were growing well. But um, the market changes for them in terms of what's happened globally has been really beneficial. Um, in terms of other ones, I look at... Um, one that we're in that's in e-health. We've been in that for a while. It was a, a company that had been around longer. Um, so the, the investment was probably, it was above angel level, um, you know, as in like post a million versus, you know, blow a million. Um, but it, um, it has been doing a roll up. It has acquired another one of our portfolio companies. It has created uh, some very strong relationships with some other ones. So they've really become, um, their strategy is to become a full suite of, um, of, of product, um, focusing on e-health, working very closely with governments. And, um, and so their exit, I think, will be substantially stronger. And this is one that will, you know, we hope that will exit in the next little while. And I think it will be substantially stronger because they realized they couldn't do everything themselves internally, but they found some other great complementary products and tools, you know, tacked them, brought them together. So they became a one comprehensive solution. And that from a purchasing side uh, on a government is one-stop shopping, one group to vet. So I think that was a really strong strategy. And I'm really excited for them because they've put in uh, 
so much hard work and it'll be, I, I look forward to seeing them uh, reaping the rewards that they deserve, not just financial, but also I think, you know, the full acknowledgement of what they have really built as a phenomenal system. Um, so, you know, you, you, you're proud of different um, portfolio companies for different reasons. You know, you want to, you want to see them succeed. You invest in them because you believe in them. It's, um, you know, there's a lot more impersonal ways to invest. So, you know, I think there's a relationship to be had with every entrepreneur and you want to see them succeed. And some do well, some don't. Um, some do better than you expected. So it's nice to see the trajectory um, and those that have really gone above and beyond to see it come back to them. Well said. And uh, yeah, I second the motion. I love that. That's great. Uh, so we're going to jump into uh, more of a high in the sky, crystal ball kind of thing. So is there any predictions that you can say that you feel are going to happen over the next 12 to 36 months? Uh, where do you see the, the world kind of shifting? We're, we're going through, uh, obviously, this pandemic. It's shaping up. It's getting better. You know, where do we net out in the next 12 months from an investment standpoint? And then where do you see us uh, in the next 36? So I think, you know, from an investor perspective, um, so first of all, a lot of people, um, as you love, are doing their initial screening um, remotely using technology. So that's something that allows for an element of efficiency. Um, so I think that you'll find that a lot of organizations are doing a lot more virtual um, in the early side of the pitching. And even when COVID restrictions are loosened, I think that you'll see that a lot more will remain virtual. Um, that having been said, I do think that, you know, angels as a whole, those that enjoy angel groups also enjoy the networking, et cetera. So I think there will be opportunities to not every pitch competition is going to be virtual for the rest of our lives. Um, so as I look going forward, I think that there has been, a right sizing of startup valuations, or there will be. Um, that might be a controversial opinion, but I think that um, when we look at our ecosystem, when we're looking at Southern Ontario, it's not necessarily the same as being in the Valley. And, um, but valuations definitely have been creeping up. And I think that, you know, it's a strong time to invest as the valuations are going to be a little more, one might say realistic, fair, depending on how you look at it. Um, I think that as well, the, you know, by and large, I think angel investors, saged, you know, investors have been around a long time. will see an opportunity in investing in a period of time like this, whether it's the better um, valuations, whether it's realizing that there's an accelerated innovation cycle going on right now because we have to, and people are forced to change old habits and adopt new ones. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to be said for investing in this time. I think the initial wave of investment um, will probably be, you know, angels will look probably first to their portfolio companies to make sure that they have been able to help their portfolio companies because you've already gone in on that one. So you want to make sure that they succeed. So I think that'll be sort of the first priority in terms of investing. Um, and then I think the next area of investment is likely to be ones, um, and I touched on this earlier, but companies that are helping industries adapt to whatever the new norms are going to be. Um, so in terms of delivering their products and services in a way that is more efficient, perhaps socially distanced, um, perhaps um, rejigging their model in order to be able to do that. Not, you know, that's not applicable to a services business. You know, your hairdresser is going to do things under new guidelines, but it's not going to revolutionize their, their business industry. But there are going to be industries where they will never go back to the old way of doing things. And so a, um, a product or 
something that helps them adapt to this new world and be efficient and effective and move forward, I think is a great area. I think that there'll also be investment in um, healthcare in terms of, you know, whether it's devices, whether it's testing, et cetera, and so on. That's not my necessarily my area, but I think that there will be um, angels that definitely see this as an area, um, world solutions, you know, the greater good and investing in that area. So I think that's one that will um, benefit. I think that probably um, medical devices and personal protection and different things within that realm will be areas that, you know, initially will be of interest because people can see how they are applicable when it comes to investing, you know, you're looking for a company that fills that need, that is the, the category killer in a particular area. And, you know, right now there's a lot of opportunity for companies to have first mover advantage and really come up with, you know, come up with nimble solutions right now. And I think that'll be attractive to um, angels. And then as, you know, we look further out and we're looking, we're at 12 and we're at 36 months, you know, I think the things that we're going to look at is as an angel, I still have to hold to my, um, portfolio stance. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the 10 to 30 companies, the different stages for us, I use different verticals. Some people go deep into one vertical, but you still have to come back to your thesis. And so as an investor, I still have my thesis in terms of the age, the stage where I bring value um, and, and what I'm looking for. So I think that people may vary their verticals and they may vary the stage that they invest at a little bit right now, because we're in a, it's a unique opportunity and a unique time. Um, where there really is an opportunity for nimble startups to excel very quickly. Um, but I think to some degree, people are going to return as investors to their original thesis because there was a reason why they had that thesis, why they, we always have to update our thesis. We always have to continue to educate ourselves, but there is a, a stage or a vertical or a way of investing that works for an investor's portfolio. And I think that, you know, those elements will continue to be there. Well, that's great. And it, it does sound like there's going to be some pullback to learning, seeing what the landscape is like, and then kind of jumping into the opportunities that are going to help expand in healthcare or in areas that are self-protecting or businesses that are looking to be remote. So there's going to be a lot of tech plays. Um, so that's, uh, that's great, great insight. Um, is there anything that you would share um, out to the entrepreneurial world or even to the investor world? Uh, some final thoughts and comments to, uh, uh, as we're all our big cheerleaders for uh, the startup community. Is there anything you'd like to share that you think uh, to kind of end this off um, from, uh, from our time uh, spent together? Thank you. Um, I love this ecosystem and I love it because of the dedicated, optimistic people, both on the entrepreneurial side, on the accelerator incubator side, and also on the angel side. Um, I fundamentally come at everything from a relationship perspective. And so I would say that both for the investors and for the entrepreneurs, the relationships you build, your reputation, your word, and how you interact with people is follows you throughout. It's our investment community, whether it be Southern Ontario, whether it be Canada, you know, it's a fairly small community. Um, and I think it's important that we work together to collaborate, we treat each other fairly, and we look at everything from a win-win, you know, Pollyanna as it may be, but a win-win, opportunity because we're partnering together. We're partnering, angels are partnering together, angels are partnering with entrepreneurs. Um, so I think it comes down to relationships and acting with integrity and being true to, to, true to what you say you're going to do. And I think those are the sustaining relationships. So, you know, they, you may reinvest in a second company that the person does because of that relationship. You may find angels that you really enjoy 
um, collaborating and co-investing with because of that. So how you conduct yourself um, and being true to, you know, your values and how you treat other people carries you through every aspect in life and it includes, you know, starting a company or investing collaboratively. That's brilliant. I like it. And uh, to end on that note, I've taken lots of notes, which I always enjoy sharing uh, because uh, people might be wondering why I'm like head down and table because <laughs> I'm writing like crazy, but I haven't found a way to stabilize this uh, table yet, but I have uh, found a way to keep writing quickly. But um, I do appreciate all your time today, Jess. Uh, I enjoyed, actually, I will probably send you a message and tell you that this take didn't work just so that we can talk one more time. <laughs> I don't, my answer will get better and better. By the third take, they'll be even better, right? <laughs> but uh, it was brilliant, and the video came in perfect. So I'm glad you changed the network. So that was perfect. awesome. And uh, I really enjoyed, once again, uh, getting to learn more about you and, and how you uh, work on the investment in the uh, entrepreneurial side. It's been fantastic. So thank you very much again for uh, helping and joining into what we're all about. And I'm glad that we got to learn more about you. And we will share that with everybody in the upcoming weeks. Uh, we'll share more details back. Well, I've always enjoyed collaborating with you. You are an ecosystem builder and a connector, which is the areas I love to be in. So I look forward to our, uh, our paths crossing again in person. I know you're loving being uh, behind the laptop. I'm looking forward to the in-person side of it. And I will see you again soon. But thank you for this opportunity. It was a great conversation and always fun. Awesome. Thanks, Jess. You bet. Okay, have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye.